Let us pray. O our great Father, almighty, wise, and gracious, we give you thanks and praise for who you are and all your wondrous works with your Son and with your Holy Spirit. Your handiwork, O God, throughout the creation shows us your beauty and power. Your providence shows us your generosity, faithfulness, and constancy. Your redemption shows us your eternal love, mercy, and grace. We thank you, O Father, that you put forth your Son as a sacrifice in human flesh to take the wrath we deserved because of our sins. We thank you that the Lord Christ has accomplished our redemption, that through him our sins are forgiven and we are reconciled to you. We thank you, O Father, that through him you have poured out your Holy Spirit upon us to unite us to your Son, to give us new life, to make us sharers in his resurrection power. We thank you, O Father, for making us members of your church for the glorious bride and body of Christ. We thank you for giving us your inspired word as a light to our path. We thank you for other means through which you make your love and presence to us known for baptism and for the Lord's Supper. Oh, Father, we thank you for giving us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus and all things pertaining to life and godliness. We thank you for your all-sufficient grace. So whether we come before you in suffering or in prosperity, we know we can live to the praise of your glory. We are here, O oh God, to give you thanks for everything and in everything. We honor you for your majesty, your excellence, your beauty. And today we seek to bring you glory by declaring your greatness, by receiving your gifts in faith so we may have peace, assurance, and wisdom and live faithfully as your people in the world, carrying forward the mission that you've given to us. O great Father, with your Son and the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons from eternity to all eternity, this is our prayer. Amen. The lesson of the day is a continuation of what we just heard. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard that you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. The word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's pray. 
We do praise and honor you, Lord Christ. Thank you for the power of your word. That power that spoke the universe into being and that power that speaks into our hearts, into into our world today to renew us, to transform us, and to remake us. Speak, O Lord, to your servants today, for we are listening. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Please be seated. What a joy it is to be back at Trinity and get to worship with you here in this place. Uh, it's always a, uh, an enjoyable time to renew fellowship with, with friends, to see what the Lord's doing here in your midst as well, and get to tell you a little bit about Peru also. Uh, I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ in Trujillo, Peru, and in Cajamarca, Peru. And I, I also I want to thank you for your support of the work in Peru. The church supports us, and a number of you support us individually as well. Thank you very much for, for that. We're very grateful. Um, my, my daughters have played a trick on me recently, and I'm not sure exactly which one did it initially, but they all seem to be in on it together now. You see, I don't think anyone has ever accused Wes Baker of being an overly sentimental person, but um, my daughters, one of them at least, managed to get this song on my, on my phone uh, in the iTunes list such that when every time I get into the car, this song starts to play automatically. And I hate the song. It's, 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 a, it's a pop song. It's called, I think it's called something like Angels to Fly. I don't know if you've heard of it. But the song is about this young girl who is the fav- her class favorite in high school. She makes wonderful grades, top of her class. She's, you know, everybody loves her. She's beautiful. She's got the world by the tail, it seems. And then she graduates from high school, she gets in with the wrong people, she develops a drug habit and gets into prostitution to support her drug habit and she dies of a drug overdose. So when this song comes on every time I get in the car, I hate the song, it's just so sad. I scramble to try to turn it off, but then I'm sort of mesmerized by it again and and end up having to listen to the whole thing. Sometimes I even listen to it twice. Um, the, the thing about that song that seems to mesmerize me is, is simply the fact of how sad it is and, and what it reveals about the, what, a, what a messed up place our world is uh, today. What, what a messed up place our world is in general. I had a, something of a, a surreal experience a little over a year ago, I think most of you probably remember hearing about the the massacre in the church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, a little over a year ago. That's actually my hometown. It's a town of uh, about two to three hundred people now, a little bit less when I was there. Uh, that little Baptist church where this guy goes in and shoots up, uh, you know, kills 26 people, I knew all of those families. I used to go to vacation Bible school in that church in the summer times. It's three blocks from where my parents live now. And so imagine my 
you know, my experience, I, I'm, I'm in Peru. I hear about this. I hear about what's happened. And from Peru, I hear President Donald Trump from Japan over international media uh, sending condolences to the people of Sutherland Springs, Texas. That was a surreal experience. I never in a million years imagined that the name of my little hometown would be in the international media, but it was, and it wasn't for a good thing. That's a good example. Another example, I don't, I don't want to give just a litany of, of all the bad things about the world, but that's another example of what a rotten world we live in or how rotten this world can be. I think of the tragedy that's unfolding in slow motion right now in Venezuela. Surely uh, you've heard about that. In, in Peru, we have hundreds of thousands of Venezuelans that are just pouring into the country. Uh, there are too many to count in the city of Trujillo where I am. And now we look over at Venezuela and we see the terrible tragedy there. And then it, it baffles me even more that there are still people in Peru and still people in the United States that want to, uh, want to think that communism is a good thing and yet it's, it's just destroying that country and people are starving to death as, as a result of it. Um, all of this and a whole lot more that, that we don't want to think about is just evidence that we live in a world that in many ways has just gone insane. Uh, a world that's desperately sick. And I'm sure you have come face to face with this in your own life even. Perhaps you have experienced a personal betrayal in your life that's been devastating to you. Perhaps you've had marital struggles or struggles with wayward children or perhaps you've had serious health problems or perhaps a financial reversal. That Those things and many, many more uh, all serve as examples of how this world is, is not like it was supposed to be. This world is not functioning the way God in t- originally intended for it to function. Well, the question is, what's the answer then? Well, we can see in this passage that we just read, we can see what the answer is uh, to, to this problem. Here we see that our Lord Jesus is, the Lord Jesus is, is calling us, he's giving us an example of people who have a wrong view of what the answer is, but he's presenting the right answer and he's calling us to embrace his mission, his mission for renewal and transformation and restoration of of this rotten world that we live in. Now, as we take a look at the the passage here, one of the things we, we see is that Jesus does something here that that preachers have a habit of doing, and that's making people mad at them. I hope you don't get mad at me today. Uh, but Jesus goes to his hometown. Jesus has just recently been baptized, which was his ordination to uh, to the priesthood where he begins his ministry. He goes out into the desert. He's tempted of Satan for 40 days, and then he has a a little bit of ministry here and there, and people in Nazareth start to hear about this Jesus, the local boy who's now 
making news in the other communities around them. They've heard about his preaching. They've heard about the mighty deeds that he's done, healing the sick and and uh, casting out demons and things like that. And so finally, Jesus makes it back to his hometown. And we can just imagine the scene there. He comes back to the, the place where he went to, to church every Sabbath. Uh, probably his his Sabbath school teachers were there to to see this this young local boy that they've been hearing about in in the news lately. Jesus gets there and they invite him. They invite him to preach in his home church, his home synagogue. And Jesus takes the scroll and he opens it up to the passage in Isaiah chapter sixty one, and adds on a little bit from Isaiah chapter 58, and he tells, he, he explains what his mission is, what, uh, what he has come to do. He explains uh, what his purpose is uh, for the world and what, he's do, what he will be doing about the problems of the world. And so he reads this passage, and the passage uh, is, is the one that, uh, that Pastor Rich read earlier, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when he says, when he, when he reads this, then he rolls up the scroll and hands it back to the attendant and he sits down. He sits down and you can imagine the anticipation that everyone has there. Oh, we've heard about this young man. We remember him when he was just a little fella running around here. And now we're going to hear, perhaps we'll hear some of the great things that, other, that, that others have heard from him in the other cities and towns around us. And so they're, they're, they're listening with great expectation. And Jesus reads this passage to them. And then he says, today, today, this is fulfilled in your midst. Or today, this, this is beginning to be fulfilled in your midst. Now, as they think about it, uh, th- th- this is a passage that they've known very well. A passage they've known forever because this passage describes their own hopes and their own dreams. They, they feel very keenly their, their need of deliverance. The Romans are dominating them. The uh, King Herod is not not a King David, and so they feel the oppression. They they when they hear these words about the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed, those that are waiting for the year of the Lord's favor. All of that is describing in Isaiah. It's describing how Israel will be will return from exile in Babylon, how Israel will be restored and renewed and transformed and exalted. And so all of these folks in Nazareth, they are all in favor of a message like that. We are the poor. We are the oppressed. We are the downtrodden. And now Jesus is proclaiming our liberty and and our uh, the, the, the renewal of God's presence among us and promises to us. But then, 
Something goes wrong here. It doesn't turn out quite like they expected. Notice in verse 22, there we read that initially everyone spoke well of him. It says, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Is this that little guy that used to run around playing here? And then Jesus turns it around on them. And he says, you doubtless you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And of course, what he's talking about is how in the rest of his ministry, he will encounter more and more and more opposition until the leaders of this people actually murder him and uh, send him to the Romans to be, to be crucified. So, so these folks are convinced that they're among the poor and the oppressed who are waiting for this deliverance. But then Jesus turns it around on them and Jesus indicates to them that, that they're actually not going to be the primary ones that this passage is focused on. Uh, notice he goes on and he cites, he cites two, two examples of how prophets in the past came to, uh, were apparently sent to their people, but then they end up ministering to, not to the, the Jews at that time, but they minister to, uh, to pagans. They minister to Gentiles in, in, uh, in other, in other nations. We read, he mentions Elijah and Elisha. Uh, look with me at verse uh, verse 25, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon. That's to the north of Israel. Those are the, the, those are the Phoenician cities north of Israel to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town, and they took him to the edge of the hill, and they were planning to throw him off to kill him. Now, how is it that they can go from speaking well of him and being amazed at the gracious words that come from his mouth, and then the next moment they're driving him out and ready to throw him off the cliff. How can they they switch so so quickly? Uh, change their attitude towards him so quickly? Well, it's it's specifically when he says to them, he explains to them how they will reject him and how his message will go to others. At the end of, of Luke wrote both Luke and Acts, and at the end of Acts, what do we see Paul doing? Uh, Paul preaches to the Jews, they reject him, and then he takes the message of the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. And that's why these folks are angry here. You see, what Jesus is doing is he's pointing out that the, the Jews, and particularly their leaders in, in that day, they had, they had taken their special calling, their privileged position. 
They were, they were called to be a kingdom of priests or kings and priests. But they liked the king part a whole lot more than they liked the priest part. And so even though they were supposed to minister to the nations, even though they were supposed to be a light to the nations, even though they were supposed to channel God's love and mercy and compassion to the nations, rather they took their privilege, their privileged covenantal position, they took it as as something to be kept just for themselves. And they were interested in ruling over the nations, but they weren't so interested in being a servant to the nations. When Jesus mentions here Elijah and Elisha, there's, uh, there's an interesting parallel going on there between those two prophets and then John the Baptist and Jesus. Elijah comes to God's people in the north of, of Israel in the days of Ahab, the king Ahab. And uh, Elijah proclaims that there's going to be a drought in the land. And Elijah himself then uh, hides from King Ahab for a period of time, and he he hides out by the brook Kareth. And there at that brook, we have this um, this really strange and curious picture of Elijah the Jew being fed by ravens or by crows. Ravens and crows are not clean animals. They're scavengers. And yet here we have this Jew being fed by and taken care of by these unclean animals. That's a picture of what Elijah's ministry was all about. Elijah was preparing God's people for the moment when they would no longer be, like in the days of David, no longer would they be the head, rather they would go off into exile. And in fact, they would they would be under the charge of these Gentile nations. And they would, to a certain extent, be supported by these nations. Elisha is the one who comes along after that, and he begins to put that new program into practice because he anoints the the next round of of kings, or the the first round of of these kings. The point of all of this is, is, Jesus says, when Elijah came and preached to Israel, Notice the great works that he did. Notice, notice how his ministry was carried out. Did he minister to widows in Israel? There were plenty of widows in Israel. There were plenty of needy people. But he goes up north of Israel. He goes to a Gentile city. And there he finds a widow. And he works this mighty work of multiplying the, the, uh, the flour and the oil so that she has everything. She and her son have everything that... They need to eat for the rest of the, the famine. And then later, he raises her son from the dead. And so Jesus is saying, look, there were many needy people in Israel in the days of Elijah, but Elijah went to a Gentile. And they're no doubt a little startled by that. And he says, well, what about Elisha? There were many lepers in Israel in the days of Elisha, but which one did Elisha heal? He healed Naaman the Syrian. And Jesus is presenting this as the explanation for why the gospel will go to the Gentiles. Why his ministry will eventually be focused on all of the nations of the earth. How his ministry will not be just a a narrow, small plan of restoring Israel, but rather it will be part of a plan for restoring all the nations of the earth. 
And the Jews in Nazareth did not, did not like to hear that. They wanted to hear about their privilege. They wanted to hear about their exalted status. But Jesus is wanting to call them to a different kind of ministry. A ministry where they take up their cross and they follow Him to Jerusalem. A ministry where they humble themselves and just as He gave Himself for the life of the world, where they're called to give themselves for the life of the world. Jesus' mission is about renewing and transforming the whole world, not just one small privileged class. And they didn't like hearing that. But what's the lesson in this for us then? In the same way that Jesus was calling them to recognize the universal nature of His mission, He's calling us to recognize that as well. He's calling this congregation, He's calling you to recognize your part in His mission. If you've been baptized into Christ, and His baptism was just in the previous chapter here, I mentioned how Jesus' baptism was His ordination to ministry. But when we are baptized into Christ, we are baptized into His priesthood. If He's ordained as a priest in His baptism and we're baptized into Him, that means we are included in His priesthood. And that means that His mission and His ministry in the world is our mission and our ministry in the world. And so your work right here in Birmingham is to carry out that priestly ministry of Jesus to those around you here. Jesus has a universal mission of restoring and transforming and renewing the whole world. And He's calling you and me to participate with Him in that. In Reformed churches, we talk a lot about vocation. And we say, well, everybody has a special vocation from God and the point of your vocation is whatever it may be, if it's making shoes or if it's being a baker or it's a carpenter, whatever it is, your vocation is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever in that vocation. Well, yes, that's true, but that's too general. Your vocation is is specifically, it's the specific way that you participate in His priesthood. It's not just a general calling to glorify God. It's a specific calling to participate in Jesus' priesthood, Jesus' mission, Jesus' vocation in a particular way where God has placed you at the time and the place and in the context where He has placed you. And so, here in this church, God has placed you right here in Birmingham, Alabama. He's given you neighbors all around you. He's given you a job to do right here. And I don't know exactly what that looks like here but He's calling you to be a priest for the neighborhoods around you here. He's calling you to participate in His mission in in that way. Now in in Peru, we struggle along with this and by no means do we do do it uh, as well as we would like to. But it... uh, in, in, in our work in Trujillo, this is what we're seeking to, to accomplish. 
were constantly trying to teach our people that their baptism as a Christian means that they're included in Jesus' priesthood. And it means that they've got a job to do. Um, I, tell, I tell folks when, when we receive new members in, in the church, and, and it's kind of a joke, but, but I think they understand that it's, that it's more than just a joke. But I, I, I say to them, I say, you know, we, we have a certain number of allotment of, uh, for church members that are, uh, for lazy church members, and then we have others that, that are the active church members. But it just so happens that all of the allotment of lazy church members, those are already full. And so if you want to be a member of this church, you have to be one of the active ones. You have to be engaged. Now every church has people that are kind of on the margin. Maybe they like to come and they, you know, they, hear the sermons or something, but to get them involved in the life and ministry of the church is not always an easy thing to do. And that's one of the things that we're constantly harping on in, in our churches in Peru is that if you are baptized into Christ, you're baptized not just into some sort of general sense of live for the glory of God. You've been baptized into a very specific calling a very specific priesthood, Jesus' priesthood, and Jesus' mission becomes your mission to those around you, to those wherever God has placed you. And just to tell you a little, I'll wrap it up with a, a story about something that recently happened to us in Peru. And for those of you that get our newsletter, you've, you've read this already, but it's a good story, so I've got to get as much traction out of it as I can. Um, we have a we have a relationship with the municipal government in Trujillo, uh, and where um, we help them out with certain things. And for example, when we have uh, medical campaigns, they bring elderly patients uh, to be attended by the doctors and things things like that. And so, because of this relationship, I go two times a year and I give a report to the mayor and the city council. And in November, when I was in Peru, I gave our, our uh, final report of the year. And so, you know, I had some slides and pictures, and I talked about the different things that uh, we had been engaged in through the year. But every time I give one of these reports, there's a, and I'm not sure how to, what to even call her or him or it, um, a city council person is a transgender female. She lives in the neighborhood around our Arevalo church. And I've known her for, I don't know, 10 years or so. And she has been a constant headache, a constant uh, thorn in our side uh, from almost the, the beginning of, of, of knowing her. Every time I go to the city council meeting, every time I give a presentation, at the end of it, she's the first person to stand up and she's got this complaint and that complaint and why are you doing this and why are you doing that and you should be doing this other thing. And so in November, I go and I give the report and who's the first person to stand up? It's, uh, it's Luisa. Her parents named her Luis, but she calls herself... Luisa, so Luisa Revilla stands up, and I'm thinking, all right, here it comes. I'm just going to brace myself for it. Go ahead, give me my beating right, right now. But she stands up, and she says, 
Mr. Mayor, they're all very formal about this. She says, Mr. Mayor, fellow city council members and city functionaries, I stand up this morning to say that I was wrong about Peru Mission. She says, all of you know that I've been a most vigorous opponent of Peru Mission for many years, but I'm here today to say I was wrong. Felt like Fred Sanford for a second. So. Um, but she, she says, I was wrong. In the last few months, I've made a point of going to the church, going to the clinic, going to the school, to the, the Christ Kids program, and I've watched how the doctors and the nurses care for the patients there, particularly elderly patients and small children and poor people, and I see how they care for, they, they attend to them with such love and tenderness. And then I go to the school and I've watched as the teachers are, are, are attending or teaching the, the children there with such love. Likewise in the, the, the Christ Kids program. And I've gone to church services and you wouldn't believe this, but the pastors, they don't only love their own flock, but they love everybody in the neighborhood. And then she says, and this was the surprising part for, most surprising part for me. She says, I too am a Christian. I'd never heard her say that before. She says, I too am a Christian. And so I have to respect what they're doing. They're being a great blessing to our city and to our country. And I think they deserve our utmost support. Well, you can imagine after several years of being berated by her and just getting nothing but complaints from her, all of a sudden to hear that. But the question is, what what brought about this change in attitude on her part? It was the fact that the church, that church in the Arevalo community, is ministering to that community the way Jesus is indicating here in this passage. It's That church is has the Spirit of the Lord upon them and has anointed them to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, liberty to all who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's something about the Gospel that when it's preached the way Jesus preached it, when it's preached like this, it softens hard hearts. And it, it makes people change their mind about the gospel, about Jesus, about the church. In this passage, Jesus is, is confronting the fact that this world is a messed up place. But he says, I've got the solution. I've got the answer. I have come. I have been anointed to bring this blessing to the world. But then He calls all of us to join with Him. He calls you to join with Him. He calls me to join with Him. And when we do that, imagine what the effect will be on the world. The world will be transformed. It will be renewed. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the power of Your Gospel. Thank You for the great compassion of Jesus. 
Thank you for the amazing privilege, although a, a fearful one, of taking up our cross and following Him, ministering with Him, giving ourselves with Him for the life of the world. Bless the work of Trinity Church here in Birmingham. Bless the work of your church in Trujillo. Bless the work of your church throughout all the world that we would embrace this mission, that we would be have our lives conformed to this mission, and that we would see indeed that this world is transformed to become like it was supposed to be. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as God's royal priesthood, let's stand for prayer. On the first Sunday of each month, we focus especially on the needs of this congregation, so please join with me as we do that now. Heavenly Father, we come in confidence knowing that we have a great high priest who intercedes on our behalf, a high priest who knows our weakness, knows our sorrow, knows our delights, and knows these things about us even better than we do ourselves a high priest who is also our Lord, our Savior, who can and does answer our prayers in ways that are best for us because He first loved us. Thank You, O Jesus, for Your faithful, victorious love. Truly, it is good to be in the presence of the triune God, bringing our petitions and thanksgivings before the throne of grace. We praise You, Father, for our recently answered prayers, including for the growth of Seth Scotchless, we ask that the results of any further tests would be an encouragement to the Scotchless family for the continued healing of Tracy Mullins, sister of Chris Phillips. Thank you, Lord, for the reports as they continue to be encouraging as she recovers in the hospital from pneumonia. Strengthen her lungs, restore her fully. For the addition of new members of our body, thank you again for bringing Christian, Tara, and Phoebe Lightheart to us. May we one another well as they commune with us. And for our expectant mothers, for Lauren, Bethany, Ashley, and Abigail, pour out your protection on mother and covenant child alike. Father, we pray against the blight of abortion. We ask that you would raise up unsurmountable obstacles to the building of the Planned Parenthood facility in Birmingham and instead raise up godly convictions about the value of those made in your image. We pray for those mourning the loss of loved ones, for Kathleen Duquette and the loss of her aunt. We thank you for her saving faith, for Shauna and Tiffany and the loss of their little ones. Grant them the desires of their hearts, O merciful Lord. Spirit, through your word and through the prayers and encouragement of your saints, comfort these who mourn. Your love endures forever. We lift up those who are suffering from illness or the effects of aging, for the critically ill child of the Crawford's neighbors, for Andrea Mosley, wife of Noah and sister-in-law to many in this body, rid her body of her recently diagnosed cancer. Pray for Henry Venable and for the continued health needs of Vicki McQuiston, Rachel Winstead, Michelle Stevenson, Rachel Edenfield, Zoe, Finley Evans' friend, Beth Booth, and Jim and Brenda Jordan. We pray for the physical needs of aging parents and grandparents of those in this congregation, for Vicki Winstead's parents, for Jenny's mom, for the Hamptons, Kevin Fox's father, Machio's parents, Peter and Knowles, 
just to name a few. Grant them grace and perseverance in their old age. Father, for all these things and many others on our hearts and minds, incline your ear to us. Your mercy endures forever. And Father, having been blessed with the presence and report of Wes Baker this morning, we ask that you continue to bless his ministry and the ministry of all those who labor for the kingdom in Peru. Protect them, O King, from the attacks of the devil. We pray for the medical team from Birmingham who will be traveling to Peru this summer, including members of our own church body who will be going. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work through physical healing done in Christ's name to bring about spiritual healing and maturity in Peru. We thank you, too, for the upcoming special opportunities that this body has to grow in mission and maturity. We pray for your blessings on the Nevin Lectures later this month. Bless Peter's preparations, and we ask that you would tear down the barriers to the unity of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We also pray for the marriage seminar in April. Grant wisdom to Rich and Eric as they prepare. Clear schedules and other barriers to attendance so that many of us can benefit from discussing and being taught on this exceedingly important topic. And finally, we pray that you would give this body a deep and abiding love for one another. Grow us into a community that enjoys the rich unity and fellowship of being part of the Trinity. Help us to love, sacrifice for, rejoice in, hurt with, and pray for one another in such a way that great blessings abound and are even poured out on the world around us. May they know that we are Christians by our love. And now hear us as we pray that prayer that Christ taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.